I have to admit to you up front, um, because we haven't been doing this journey together for very many years now, but I'm fairly obsessed with the wise men. It's one of those things that I love, and I am interested in all the little details that come with the wise men. And we have an awful lot of tradition that surrounds the wise men, things that are not necessarily present in the gospel story. I think that's why I'm obsessed with them, because it reminds me that sometimes our tradition or our interpretation of a scripture prevents us from seeing clearly what is actually being presented to us in that scripture. There are several things that come to us through tradition. One of those is the number of gifts. I mean, in a few minutes, we're going to sing, We three kings of Orient are. Um, And they bring gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we always put out three wise men and three gifts. The passage never tells us how many gifts or how much of each it was that they brought. There are just three items that come. We've assigned meanings to each of those. Gold for him being a king, frankincense because he's a priest, and myrrh because he'll suffer and die. Those two come to us through tradition. All three of those gifts were appropriate gifts for kings in that time. We've also given them names. The most common ones are um, Casper, Belziar, and Melchizedor, or Melchior. But the names have variations, and it depends on what area of the world that you were in. And by tradition, they come from three continents, but they almost assuredly came from one place, and they came together. But by tradition, they became spread out across the world because they represent the fact that Jesus is the Messiah for all the world, not just a portion or a part of it. The first time we ever see those names is in a Greek manuscript that dates to us from the 500s that was found in Alexandria, Egypt. It also doesn't say that they are kings. Now, some of our translations have um, translated the word magus or magi, which is the plural of magus, as kings. But that too became a tradition because We're more comfortable with the idea of kings. There are at least three passages, Psalm 72, Psalm 68, and Isaiah 60, that talk about how all the kings of the world will come and bow before the Jewish Messiah. That goes all the way back to Abraham, who was told, I am blessing you to be a blessing to the whole world, and through you all the families of the world will be blessed. We weren't really comfortable with who the Magi probably are, which is, astrologers, astronomers, and magicians from a foreign country coming to recognize. That made us a little uncomfortable, so we were more comfortable with kings. It's also most likely they they didn't come to the manger. They didn't arrive on the night of Jesus' birth. The story tells us that if we read on later, Herod goes to Bethlehem and kills all the little boys in Bethlehem, who were aged two years and under, because that's when the Magi first saw the star. So it would take about 30 days of traveling really, um, really diligently for them to have traveled from where they came from, which was the former Persian Empire um, that had already kind of begun to fall away to the Greeks and the Romans, what is modern-day Iraq and Iran, to make that journey over. 
But it may have taken them as much as two years to see the star, to gather their supplies, to plan their journey, to make the trip and to arrive. And our hint is that it says they went into the house and they saw the child with his mother. So there's been a lapse of time. But we put the wise men in the nativity scene because we don't have anywhere else to put them. We have Jesus' birth. We have the wise man coming. We have him in the temple at 12, and boom, we're on to ministry. So we don't have time to pause for this. We also sometimes forget that Christmas started with Christmas Day. That was the first day of Christmas. And it goes forward from there. The 12th day of Christmas becomes January the 6th, Epiphany, when the wise men arrive. And in many cultures, they give little gifts each of those 12 days. And on that night, they celebrate its 12th night, the night that the Magi came with their gifts. And they continue to celebrate the gift that is Jesus for those 12 days. Now, I don't have any problem with tradition. I like tradition. I'm a traditionalist and a liturgical person. As long as it doesn't get in our way and as long as we don't confuse tradition and think that it is what the gospel says. And nobody can say anything differently than that. This story is actually even more amazing than the one we've created in tradition. Where angels, shepherds, and wise men converge on a barn and find a baby in there with the cows and the sheep and the goats and all that. The story of the Magi bring together all of the stories of Scripture and make Jesus the fulfillment and the culmination of them all. And if we don't look carefully, we can miss that. The Magi are most likely a priestly cast of people. From the Persian Empire, they were a clan that served, think of them as chaplains, for the empires, they were the ones who served as the religious leaders. They would help you worship your God in the right way. Under the time of the Persian Empire, they came to follow Zoroastrianism, which was another monotheistic belief system. And so they did study the stars and the heavens and felt like they gave us hints and clues and omens to what was coming. And so they have made this journey over. Think about how the Persian Empire plays into the story of God's people. They end up exiled because they are unfaithful to their covenant. The Old Testament tells us that the Israelites were conquered by Babylon and they were carried off into exile. The Babylonians are eventually defeated by the Persians and so they find themselves captives in the Persian Empire. And it is the first king of Persia, Cyrus, who lets them go home. Some of y'all can go home. The Babylonian Empire or the Persian Empire actually pays for the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple that we read about in Ezra and Nehemiah. The story of Esther takes place under King Darius, who was a Persian king. Daniel, the book of Daniel, takes place under Nebuchadnezzar, who is a king of Babylon. It actually tells us in Daniel chapter 5 that Daniel becomes the chief of the Magi who are located in Babylon. His gift that God has given him to interpret dreams and to lead caused the king, particularly after he's thrown in the lion's den and doesn't get eaten, 
to put him in charge of the holy men, you clearly have a special relationship with God. All of those interactions introduced the Magi, this group of priests, to the faith of the people of Israel. They come to know about the one true living God and about the people who are called to be his nation of priests because of Daniel and Esther and captives toted off into Babylon. And here at the birth of the Messiah, more than 400 years later, we find out they're still following and keeping an eye on that religion, that faith we heard about. Now the Babylonian captivity and the Persian one that followed it was a horrible thing. Nobody wants to be carried off and imprisoned and enslaved. But we see that God was still with God's people. Even when they are carried away. Even when things aren't going well. Even when it looks bleak. He's faithful to his promise to keep a remnant. and Bring them home. And do all that he has promised to do. Makes me think of Romans 8.28. A verse we quote often. We know that God works all things together for good. For the ones who love God. For those who are called according to his purposes. All too often we turn this verse into something that says, if you're just right with God, then everything's going well for you. And that's not at all what it means. Because if we read it in a larger context, we see that they're going through a difficult time. Paul is trying to offer them some comfort by saying, God is with you no matter how bad it looks. And I promise you that God is always working to bring about good even though there's evil in the world, even though there are challenges in life, even though there are sorrows, God is always working toward the good. He'll find some good. He'll find some way to do some good. Hear it out of a different translation. Romans 8, 26 through 28. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's Spirit is right alongside helping us. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us. Making prayers out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves and keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail of our lives, God is working into something good. Not everything that happens to us is good, but our good God is always working to find some good in spite of it and through it and out of it, even when we can't always see it at the time. We know that Esther was told, you're here for such a time as this. Daniel refuses to be distracted or disturbed. Ezra and Nehemiah persevere under difficult circumstances. I don't think any of them saw themselves as carrying forward a golden thread that God was in the process of weaving into a beautiful tapestry of his promises. They were just trying to survive, just trying to do the best they could in their circumstances, just trying to, to make it and be as faithful as they could. Which makes me think of us. We don't always see ourselves as people who are writing the next chapter of God's story, carrying forward what began with a promise to Isaiah, 
came to fulfillment in a Messiah, was birthed at Pentecost in a church, continues right along with us. We carry that forward and God keeps creating and working. And the Magi come, not in the story of the Gospel of Luke, who integrates a lot of Gentiles into his story, but in the Gospel of Matthew, the only one to capture this story as he rides to a mostly Jewish church. And he says, hey, don't forget that there were others outside of us who came to honor and worship our Messiah because he's not just our Messiah, he's our Messiah, the Savior of the entire world. And we have a choice to be part of that story of carrying it forward. We have four characters in this story and we get to choose which of those we will be. There are the oblivious citizens of Bethlehem who don't know and don't seem to care about a Messiah, a miraculous baby being born with the animals somewhere in town. They're not gathered. The shepherds come, the angels sing, but the town moves right on just doing their thing, too busy, too many daily cares to worry about it, oblivious to where God is moving. We have the religious leaders. They're not oblivious to God, but they're going to ignore God. They know, they have the scriptures. They know the prophecies for the fulfillment of the Messiah. But when the Magi come and they find out that he is supposedly born, we don't have any story of them going to find him. No story of them coming to a manger or to a house or seeking him out. And the reason is because he doesn't look like what they wanted him to look like. Not going to be born in a barn. Not going to be born to a woman who was pregnant before she came together with her husband. Raised by a carpenter or stoneworker in his family. That's not what the next leader of Israel looks like. The next leader of Israel will surely be born to a prominent religious family raised in Jerusalem, studying scripture, becoming a rabbi, learning to lead. That's what he will look like. Nothing good ever came out of Nazareth. Who is Bethlehem anyway? So they just ignore what is happening in Bethlehem. And then we have Herod. Herod the king, the leader who is going to, at all costs, maintain his power and his control, even if it means wiping out a generation of little boys in a town called Bethlehem. He tries to trick the Magi and say, Oh, come back and tell me so I can go and honor him. The words drip with sarcasm. And we're told that God warns the wise men, Don't trust him. You go home some other way. And then there is this beautiful story of magi. Foreigners, outcasts, weirdos. They're not from around here. They don't fit in. They don't know all of our ways. Oh, but they see God moving. God is doing something. I'm going to go find God. I'm going to go see this thing that God is doing. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to ignore it. I don't want to be oblivious to it. I want to be in on whatever God is doing. And so they follow a little light. 
that carries them 1,200 kilometers to a foreign land, to a people who worship a different God, who have condemned the religion they practice and who they are, to honor this Messiah. Unlikeliest hero, the song just said, wrapped in his mother's scarf. God come in the flesh to teach, to lead, to love, to redeem. They weren't going to miss it. May we choose to be like the Magi. Able to incorporate the odd, the weird, the new, but unwilling, whatever it takes, to not miss what God is doing and to be in on that. Brings all those themes. Want to know where the Magi got their start? In a land called Ur of the Chaldees. That, my friends, is the place where God first called Abraham. From beginning to fulfillment. This thread comes through that God loves, God redeems, God calls us to better than we have been and better than we are. And we do it by following Jesus, finding Him, and falling at His feet. What do you have to teach me? I don't want to miss God. Let us pray. Almighty, great.